Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, 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 well. Very pleasant. Good morning to you. Hi, this is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. We are going to get a Canadian cold front in today. Pretty exciting here in Dripping Springs, Texas. We don't get them very often. When we do, we just uh, get our wood-burning stove going. And But what can I tell you? We're going to blame it all on Matthew Arad, who lives in Canada. He's going to be here in just a moment. My, my personal phone is ringing, but uh, it's probably just somebody selling uh, uh, aluminum siding, so who cares? But uh, it's a beautiful morning here in Dripping Springs. A little bit later on this morning, we're going to talk with Richard Proctor. Uh, Richard has uh, written a book entitled Understanding the Constitution, and we're going to ask him why in name, how, why, why on God's green earth that an elderly gentleman, illegitimate, uh, illegitimate in the White House, can tell states that they got to do this and that. I mean, what's that about? And uh, there's a thing called the Tenth Amendment. He understands it, and we're going to understand about the Tenth Amendment, uh, and it's called states' rights, and you just can't do that. But anyway, so we're going to have fun talking with Richard. We'll also talk about religious exemptions and the Constitution, meaning the Fourth Amendment. Are we, in, are we indeed secure in our persons and property, or are they just making this thing up? I mean, what, what's going on? So he'll be here in just a little while. Matthew Arad, as I said, is a good guy. He is a Canadian patriot.org, and I'm going to pull up his bio here. And he is a lecturer. He's founder of Canadian Patriot Review and the Rising Tide Foundation. And uh, he's an author with Strategic Culture and uh, the Duran and Fort Russ LA Review of Books and uh, China Channel. And he has been published in the Asian Times, Global Times, Oriental Review, Scott uh, Sat, and also Zero Hedge. Yeah, that's where I first found Matthew, was on one of my favorite haunts, Zero Hedge. He's a good guy. He's in Canada, and he's responsible for the uh, for the uh, cold front coming down. So thanks for the cold wave, Matthew. Good morning. <laughs> good morning, Patrick. Always a pleasure to be on. And hopefully uh, this conversation won't uh, freeze your, your no, listeners' minds. No, 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 they won't. So we thought we would talk about this silly thing. I mean, um, it is just, you can't make it up. And what's it called? COP26, right? This is where... Mm-hmm. How many countries? 120 countries? Flying, something to that effect. Flying. There's going to be 25,000 25, delegates representing Whoa. something like what you just said. Uh, countries uh, will be coming together for about 13 days. 13 yeah. days in Glasgow. And they're going to figure out how they can take $10 trillion from us, right? Is that what, is, isn't that what this is about? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's about a lot more than that. But okay. there's definitely, I mean for anybody who's listened and has thought about the great reset and what type of ideology has been behind the orchestration of this pipe dream ivory tower reset of civilization under the great reset mm. um should see the should identify very familiar uh tropes and ideas in the cop 26 discussions and aims and goals except rather than it being a covid 19 focused um invisible thing that you're afraid of it's now um, carbon dioxide, which is the invisible thing you're supposed to be afraid of that you're it, 
essentially the solution is pretty much the same thing a reset of all of our values our economic and and security and and everything that has made us a species for the past 250 years they're saying it's all been wrong it's all been out an unbalancing of nature every time we've built industries or we've grown our population according to certain standards of production and and of ideas of the future and of the past and all of those things are all bad they're all causing populations to grow like cancers like a tumor on a host and since human beings are just like essentially a a, a cancerous growth that's pretty much what these misanthrop misanthropes tend to think of us uh, whether it's Prince Charles, who's one of the the keynote speakers of the COP26, yeah. or or any of the pick pick a character, um, the only solution is to cut out the cancer, and that means uh, you know Mark Carney, who is the uh, the guy who's essentially assigned to run it, the former governor of the Bank of England, and yet another fellow Canadian. I'm I'm so sorry that we do this to you Americans um, and the world. Uh, he said that we need to create a $135 trillion uh, spending spree. No, no, to no, 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 not $135 trillion no, no. into green energy grids to save the planet. And where is this $135 trillion going to come from, uh, by the way? The, pri- the private sector has to do their part. He uh-huh. says uh, green bonds, governments have to uh, uh-huh. start playing the role of uh funders you emitting things like green bonds which who's going to buy these green bonds uh he doesn't address that i don't think anybody wants one of these toxic things um but it but but it's it's essentially it's a it's a pipe dream it looks really good for these guys on paper but Mm -hmm. when it comes to practically thinking through the reality there's a lot of blind spots that i mean you know they don't have a solution to a lot of it they just have an idea that the the current financial system is going to blow out they they want to try to select the moment of the the blowout, the chain reaction, uh, deleveraging, and the collapse of the the hyperinflated system that we're currently on. And you know, I think everyone is aware that, or they should be aware that the current system is essentially a time bomb. Most of the economy is that when people think of economy, for the past forty years, it's increasingly just speculative, fictitious capital built up on thin air. There's no there's nothing real mm-hmm. justifying mm-hmm. most of the monetary numbers that we see, right? And we've just been printing money since COVID. Another, what, $5 trillion Five. has been printed out of thin air to just like flood the, the system with liquidity. So it's all, that's all hyperinflationary and it will, it will blow out. The question is what will determine the new system that will be brought online and will it be a system that is in alignment with actual human needs? Because that's possible. We're not, it's not too late for that. Or will it be this other thing which puts the value on uh, on reducing our carbon footprints, our impact on nature. And frankly, any time that we we build infrastructure or we do anything that benefits human beings and, and uplifts them to a higher standard of living, it, it affects nature. It, it unbalances the so-called equilibrium of certain ecosystems of nature when you build a dam or, you know, you want to do anything for human beings. Um, or let's say emit carbon dioxide, which is the big enemy, the big the big villain that's been created for us to be afraid of. I mean, they, they say carbon dioxide is the thing which is causing global warming. And this is the thing which is destroying the planet and destroying life. And it's like, wait a minute, last time I checked, carbon dioxide is caused by life and plants love it. It's called plant food. Yeah. And every time you have like, if, if you're a farmer, and I, I just, I gave a presentation uh, last week um to uh Rainer Fülmich and 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 his people 
And uh, (laughs) one of the things that struck me in one of my slides, I I had to bring it in there, was if you're a farmer and you have a greenhouse, Mm -hmm. what do you you need to have as as an integral component to your greenhouse is a carbon dioxide machine. Like you you have to, otherwise you can't compete. That doesn't work. No, and it it raises the carbon dioxide levels, these machines up to 1500 parts per million. The average parts per million of carbon dioxide on the earth without these machines is about 350, 400 parts per million on average. Um, that's okay. But I mean, when you look at, if you double that or even triple that in these greenhouses, it's, you're not killing the plants. You're not killing the fruit, the vegetables or anything else. They grow happier, more lush, more vitamin rich. It's good for them. So having more CO2 in the atmosphere is not bad for, for plants. Provably they, they like it. They suck up more of it because if you want to get rid of plants, you know, green a desert, you know, irrigate desalinate and irrigate regions of desert uh, and that will create more green and what happens when you have more green if you really want to be green this is what you should do you should do what Qaddafi was doing with greening the big chunk of the Libya he did yeah that would create what's called a carbon dioxide sink it captures that's what that's what trees and plants do it and and it uses it it creates carbohydrates it creates oxygen for us it's great and uh and and instead what are they doing they're saying well we need to know deserts are only good for spreading solar panels which if you think about the absurdity of this if you spread solar panels all over the desert not only we we can stay away from the inefficiency and economic absurdity of solar panels and the but we just ignore that if you do that if you build solar panels over deserts you are increasing the desertification because you are increasing on average about five degrees of heat over the the desert surface oh, area because they just capture sunlight, capture, right? Yeah, yeah. And the desert grows and grows and just kills green things. So it's it's a <laughs> it's a totally self destructive. So Matthew, motive. in your opinion, are these people? It's a tough question because there's a lot of people involved. But just in general, you've studied this a lot. Are they just stupid, or are they just using this to control us and to print more money and slush fund and build more yachts? I mean. In general, what would you say? There's stupid people <laughs> who have to who have to be stupid to make it happen and to give their consent. But I think those who are are shaping this policy from mm. the top, um, no, they they they, they want the do. effect. They they, they yeah. really do want the effect of uh, reducing the means of supporting human life. Uh, because if they just came out and said we want to reduce the means of supporting human life, there's too many of us. People wouldn't tend in, in in democratic societies that we have. They wouldn't right. tend to just go no, along. I don't think we should do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's uh, not do that. So, I mean, these these are really globalists who, along with the COVID thing, in your opinion, want to lower the population. Let's be clear. That is all. Absolutely, what they want. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Man. Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't believe we're just saying this with a straight face kind of thing. Well, we're not, you know, really. Well, you know, they, they, um, this is not a, a new thing, no. you know. Like, we, we've seen um, for many generations, if you look at history, you can't understand history if you're not aware that there is a continuity of an oligarchy with, which has one of its continuous beliefs is that people... Um, the majority of people are born slaves and the, and the minority of the privileged few are born masters. Mm-hmm. And with that belief, because it's an idea, th- it becomes a bit of a Pygmalion effect where they're like, well, 
there are these case studies of individuals born into slave classes who tend to do things that we can't do that are creative. Like, let's say, Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci will arise, right? Mm-hmm. Who is not part of the nobility, but he will exhibit exceptional characteristics of being able to discover laws of the, the universe creatively. And he will translate them into new new um, technologies and, and new forms of art. Um, and, and there's hardly a single field of human thought that is untouched. And they'll be like, oh, that's problematic. That's problematic. What, what if other people think that they can do that too? And, and what they'll tend to do then, and again, Pygmalion effect, right? They'll, they'll say, well, let's make sure that we create the circumstances for these slaves to not be able to actualize those characteristics that da Vinci did, which we don't approve of. And we're going to make sure that we encourage, uh, you know, poverty. We're going to make sure people live in a state of scarcity if possible, or we're going to make sure that they're constantly fighting each other by lighting fires like arsonists everywhere. Right. We're going to make sure that, that we make their education system as, as dumbed down as possible. If they, if they actually do have an education system, let's say they fight for, for freedom and they, 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 they earn themselves, right. They, they carve out, a defense of the right to educate their their children. We don't approve of that, but let's say they did that. Well, how can we corrupt that so that they actually not only do not activate those those creative, brilliant faculties, but become so um, uh, confused by false knowledge? We'll we'll say that knowledge is not how you how you develop your reason to make a discovery. We'll tell we'll we'll tell students instead. That knowledge is getting the right answer on a test. <laughs> well, we're going to say it's acceptable, right. acceptable pre-configured answers that you were supposed to arrive at. That's what knowledge is. It's mm. not thinking for yourself or problem solving. Wow. And the more students modify their behavior and their identities around that and then go out into the real world, the more that they become just individuals who are not individual, they just fit into a herd mentality, right? A, a consensus groupthink, which can then be easily nudged. Wow. as you want wow. it in a certain di- direction and they can't make discoveries because they didn't learn how to how to act activate those parts of their mind so when you have in the real world you let's say you're a worker you're a you think of yourself as a maybe a scientist even whatever you're a technician whatever all of a sudden there's these limits to your existence based up upon certain uh resources that your society has been using whether it's coal or, or wood or oil or whatever so your society has been using these things that have been maybe monopolized by those same financier interests above the above the nation states who have been, in, you know, <laughs> manipulating the society the whole time. So you say, well, rather than um, trying to overcome our limits to growth, which is what a human being should do if you're if you're thinking creatively, you're like, okay, well, where where's the next thing? Right? What else do we what discover else, now? What else can we do? We yeah. yeah, they say no. Best we can do is just adapt to what exists and and with that you could say well scientifically mathematically you can sort of prove that there's eight billion of us today um there's a certain limited amount of space there's only certain rates of agriculture based on today's technology there's only certain amounts of uh, uh resource minerals and rare earths that exist that you can relatively measure mathematically put them in a model forecast that model with linear trends into the future and you can see a point where easily where we just can't sustain our population anymore. And they've been doing that now for many decades. That's what they believe, um, but that's not necessarily true. No, they, they, but that's again, the Pygmalion effect, right? They make sure that we, <laughs> we, we believe that to their forecast. And then, and then when we actually find ourselves out of resources, sometimes like we see in the energy crisis today in Europe, 
or coming to the the, the West increasingly in in North America, it, it's mostly it's it's mostly manufactured, honestly. Of course, of course, yeah. Um, yeah. But then we say, well, I guess I guess we are overpopulated. Well, what do we do? Well, let, let's try to let's try to go green. Let's try to let's try to protect nature from from the cancerous human beings. But we'll do it in a humane way. Yeah, that's what Pope, Pope Francis said. You know, in, in his uh, speech to the scientists, to the people, not scientists, to the people at Copenhagen, right after he met Biden, he said, you know, we have to change our values. We have to have a conversion of Christianity. In his case, he's talking to the Christians. And uh, this is satanic. I'm sorry. He's saying, like, you know, <laughs> we have to we have to look out for the poor. We have to act with love in this green transition. It's like, well, this is a pretty strange idea of, of poverty alleviation and love if you're going to support Mark Carney's uh, green grids around the world. Uh, that's going to cause a lot more poverty and a lot more death. So I don't know how you could, could act with love. Is it fair to say that the Pope is one of the all-time globalists ever? I mean, he really, he's right in the belly of the beast, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I'm not impressed with that guy at all. No, <laughs> he's, but that was the second he got in, you know, like yeah. the, there was already alarm bells when when uh, I think you and I touched on this in our last show, actually, uh, but when when the previous Pope uh, Benedict uh, abdicated, that's the first time in like a thousand years ever. that a sitting pope right, yeah, the first time that yeah. a sitting pope ever said, "Okay, I'm out." You know, they waited until yeah, he died, I, right? Yeah, but they pushed him out. Yeah, I, yeah. and I don't know what what kind of backdoor threats or whatever. I have no idea what the hell happened. Wouldn't to that him, be a great story though if you knew it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that would make some good book for some future historian. Uh, right. Maybe somebody knows. If somebody knows, send me an email. But all I know <laughs> is that when the new guy came in, uh, not only was it the first Jesuit pope ever, but it was also the the, the name he selected him for himself of Francis, because you select your your name as a pope, right? Right. So he selected Francis. That's going to be my pope name. And uh, right there, alarm bells should have started ringing again because Why that was that? always known as the patron saint of environmentalism. Like the, that's oh. the guy who talked to animals, you know, and like. Was it harmony with nature as a as a monastic you know, guy who who didn't believe in human beings affecting nature? That was that was Saint Francis, Francis who created yeah. the Franciscan order. Huh? <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I remember when when I was a kid, I grew up Catholic. They had little uh, uh, holy cards of Saint Francis. And they had birds on them and, and animals and stuff. So he's yeah. so he's just kind of rubbing our nose in it, right? This is <laughs> this is the way these people are. <laughs> Let's just choose. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a sick joke, frankly. Yeah. I know, <laughs> but but more than that, more than that, because because the Jesuits have a certain Franciscan uh, base oh, as well, um, as in in the, from the, from the Franciscan order, which is a whole discussion unto itself. But I think that the um, there's something to do with this um, sort of paramilitary group set up under the Habsburg takeover of the, of, of Rome in the 16th century, in 1529, when the Habsburgs did take over Rome and uh, submitted the Pope to the will of the Habsburg oligarchy. Um, there was always a fight inside the Vatican between factions, sometimes humanist, sometimes oligarchical. It was, it's like any nation state, right? It's, there's, there's, there's deep state and then there's legit uh, patriots <laughs> that at different times take power. Mm -hmm. But when the, when, when the 1529 takeover happened, the institution of this... Um, new order this para paramilitary order as sort of a, a counter-revolutionary operation against the protestant reformation was created as a uh, as a quasi-independent branch of the uh, the papacy so-called loyal to the pope but at the same time mostly independent to it had its own governing structure it had its own you know 
black pope at the top of a pyramid, a chain of command, highly regimented, um, to uh, carry out, uh, to undermine the growth of the the, the different um, Protestant organiza- uh, organizational structures that were emerging, which itself was a, you know, it, it was all messy because if you look at it, the the, the a lot of the, these schisms were caused because you had a grouping in um, uh, 1509 around uh, Erasmus and around um, Thomas More and a lot of really great humanists. Da Vinci was a part of this grouping that was organizing something called the um, the League of Cambrai. Have you heard about that? No, never heard of it. Never. It's uh, it was an it was a, a league that was created uh, led by um, France, Florence, um, which was joined soon by pretty much all of the nations of Europe who had been fighting each other for hundreds of years. And they all stopped fighting long enough to actually have a conversation. And they all realized that the uh, the Venetian Empire, which was sort of the center of world commerce and banking, it had the, the control of global bullion. Um, it, it was the new Roman Empire. That, that little um, zone where the oligarchy, the, the old families of, of Venice or formerly of Rome had been sort of concentrated, they had been funding all sides and, and their ambassadors were providing false information, counterfeit intel, gossip to kings and courts to try to induce the maximum amount of, of paranoia, of, of, of hostility amongst the different um, neighboring countries of Europe. And they realized, wait a minute, it seems like we're all being played. It seems like there's this Iago character from like Othello, you know, that's what that's what Shakespeare was exposing in uh, Othello with the char- the Venetian uh, character of Iago, who was like just whispering in everyone's ear and getting everyone to like kill each other when they really had everything in common. Like they, they had no reason. Why did Othello kill his wife? Why did he hate his friend? Right. It's all Iago, it's all Iago who's doing this. Wow. Honest Iago. And uh, so basically the uh, the league was formed as a common alliance to destroy Venice which was amazing. And starting in 1509, the war began. They, they, all of the countries all converged and wiped out the Venetian naval fleets. They were about to go in for a second stroke to uh, wipe them out. And again, Erasmus was one of the key, key organizers of this behind the scenes. Really good people. Wow. And uh, something happened. I don't know what type of backdoor bribes occurred around our very corrupt Pope Julius II who took a Venetian bribe and ended up just getting out. He broke the alliance. He pulled out the Spanish Habsburgs, who were also under Maximilian, who were loyal to him. Um, and and the whole thing sort of increasingly fell apart. So within like a year and a half, the whole, the only two people left in the alliance was France and uh, Florence. And everybody was working now all of a sudden with, with Venice as their ally, destroying France and, and, and Florence and Florence. You know, it was it was insane. Like it was really it was a stroke of evil genius, whatever it was. And um, and the, by 1512, the alliance was totally broken up. And, um, you know, uh, all that to say the the attempt made by people who were organizing the league like Erasmus was not to schism. They saw the corruption and the rot in the church. They saw that clear as day, right? They saw the contradictions within the church structure, but they saw that there was also something profoundly good in the idea of of the idea of a human beings, man-made in the image of God as the foundation of a social order. And they were trying to work with that because if you believe that and you truly love God and you love your fellow man, the way, the way Christ said in the book of Matthew, if that's really what governs you, you will 
will not be manipulated by an empire. You will be able to activate those creative powers of, of right. higher thinking, higher feeling and higher sacrifice that you're willing to make, mm-hmm. right? Because there's a higher set of pleasures that you now enjoy tied to the health of your soul more than the health of your body and, and or, or ego, you know? So they were trying to reform the church structures that way. And it was, it was very potent the way they were, they were doing it. Now, Martin Luther had a, had a different idea of things and he had a big fight with Erasmus because they were both, they were both reformers, but Martin Luther was of the, the view that no, 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 you can't, you can't save this thing. It's, it's too corrupt. All we can do is create um, a new religious order and, and go to basically wage jihad. Um, and it became for the next hundred years, it was like Protestant versus Catholic right. fires spreading around the world of constant war, kind of like what you see in the Middle East, right? These fires of, mm-hmm. you know, and, and most of it was geopolitically manipulated. It wasn't like just organically Protestants wanted to just kill their Catholic neighbors and vice versa, do the same thing. That wasn't just something human beings wanted to do. Their, their, their instincts were normally to just like live in harmony with each other, but you always had these provocateurs um, sent out kind of like, you know, we have cases of that with uh, agent provocateurs that inst- that turn peaceful protests into violent reactionary mobs, right? We, Black Lives Matter or whatever. Yeah, that, that kind of yeah, stuff. Somebody yeah. would go and like throw a bomb into somebody's house, you mm-hmm. know, or like go in the middle of the night, marauders would like kill a family. And so the whole Protestant community would be like, oh, that was the Catholics. Look, they even left signs saying this, we Catholics did that. And vice versa, the same thing would happen. So they would easily ke- get these conflicts. So within that state of chaos, by 1530, the Jesuits were created as sort of this paramilitary branch within the Pope or within the papacy that was designed to undermine the Protestant um, movements. But really, it became itself another variable of chaos. Um, ex- and, and for the past 500 years, what we've seen is there have been good Jesuits from time to time as lower orders, but the thing works like a chain of command. And so when you get to the higher up levels of the chain, you start seeing that this is where a lot of the uh, more secret handshakes, right? We got to do that. More secret handshakes happen there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that um, brings us back to Pope John uh, Francis. You know, the, the, as soon as he gets in, somebody that high level who becomes the Pope of the world, the official Pope, right. not not the black Pope, but the real Pope. Uh, all of a sudden, now the first thing he does is he just starts saying, "We're going to reform Christianity to make it green," hmm. and he writes Laudato Laudate Si as his encyclical in, in 2015, which is essentially a calling for the greening of the entire Catholic faith, where instead of the idea of being fruitful and multiplying and, and uh, you know, um, the idea that population growth is a good thing, which you would tend to get if you, if you read the Bible, um, because human beings are made in the image of God and we're, we're, you know, we're soul and we can make discoveries. All of those things, he says, no, that that's actually not really so true. What, what makes us what, what the Bible is actually saying is we should adapt as stewards to nature by adapting to nature's limits. That's what it means. Oh. And so oh. increasingly, he's been trying to do that. And there's a lot of resistance against him. But he's obviously throughout working the church, very closely with throughout the, the cardinals and, and everything. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of yeah, yeah cardinals and archbishops and bishops all over the place who see that this is completely <laughs> antithetical to, to uh-huh. Christianity. But... You know, the fact is, it's there, uh, and yeah, he's completely on board with the Klaus Schwab, you know, the, the whole, whole thing. The whole thing, yeah. Matthew Arad is with us, Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. We're going to do a commercial, and then we're going to, uh, well, l- let's do a little spot, Matthew, and then we're going to come right back. Stay right there. Don't go away. 
Before I start my work day, I like to get my workout in. It makes me much more effective throughout the rest of the day. Now, one of my favorite supplements to use in conjunction with my training is Sir Thrival's Elk Antler. These are sustainably and humanely harvested from US free range animals. Now, what's interesting about elk, deer, moose, all these animals we call the cervids, is they're the only mammals who have an organ that actually falls off and regenerates every year. These elk antlers grow out in just a matter of a couple of months. In order to grow like that, they need growth factors, steroidal compounds that cause that rapid growth. Those can actually be harvested, freeze-dried, and put into solution that you can actually utilize in your own body. Now there's been a back and forth history with this being banned for doping in professional athletics. Currently, it is legal, except that it is really rich in IGF-1, which is a banned substance. Now, of course, this is a natural substance. This is not a steroid. But when you look at natural substances, you won't find anything more powerful than elk antler for recovery, for lean muscle growth and maintenance, for metabolic enhancement, and for recovery after injuries and surgery. This is incredible stuff. If you're looking for a natural supplement that boosts your metabolism, helps you grow lean body mass, burns fat, increases libido and energy levels, and helps your body regenerate from your workouts or from injuries or surgeries, take a look at Sir Thrival's Elk Antler. And this is available on OneRadioNetwork.com. Daniel has got great line of products that we've been talking about for years. And uh, this is another one that you can add to the elk uh, antler if you're into, uh, interested in making babies or practicing making babies, either one, whichever you want to do. <laughs> Pure potency. This is uh, Sir Thrival's, and this is the, the most natural form of testosterone. This is from pollen, from the, you know, from carbon di, you know, hmm? trees, pollen. And this is, this gets spread out through the entire um, uh, forest everywhere, uh, every spring, and birds and bees and, and, and everybody kind of lives off this stuff and it kind of feeds the forest. And it's from the pine tree, which is an incredible tree, by the way. And I'm gonna ask Matthew, there's a huge pine cone. Did you know there's a pine cone at the at the Vatican? There's a yeah, there's a pine cone. Now I don't know what that's about. Some people say it's the the image of your pineal gland, but it also could be in homage to the pine tree, which is amazing. Uh, this is where sulfur comes from, where DMSO comes from, where turpentine comes from, which we take all that stuff. The pine tree is pretty interesting, and then pure pollen, pollen. So so that's cool. And this is all on elk, velvet, antler, and pine pollen on Sir Thrival. This is a great product that I have two of these little bad boys in my, my home. This is um, the Blue Shield, and this is an EMF protection device, but it doesn't protect you like, it doesn't try to block the EMFs coming in, in from your, you know, um, I can show you a little picture of it here. It doesn't try to, you know, protect them or block the EMFs. See the picture here. Electromagnetic fields. It actually works on the cells in the body. And this is out of Australia. And they've been working on this technology for about 25 years. And uh, Brandon Amalani, who uh, brought this product in to the United States, he is the sole distributor. And this is just an old model. But 
Then you can also get one here that I have, and this is one you can carry with you, and you you just uh, juice this little guy up with your USB, and you put this in your pocket, and you put it in your pocket when you go into the city, they have all the cell phone towers. We don't do that thing on the country because we don't do that here. But anyway, and so it works on the cells in the body, and it's a cool technology because it just helps the body to better adapt to these electromagnetic frequencies that come in through cell phone towers and Wi-Fis. So it works on the cells in the body. It doesn't try to block them. People think, oh, it blocks the EMFs now. So it just helps the body to adapt better to these unnatural things. And who knows what the 5G stuff is and 5G, 10G, you know, probably 12G a year from now. Who knows? So anyway, you can get two of these little guys. You can get this guy for your home. goes out 90 yards. It's called... Um, Blue Shield on OneRadioNetwork.com. Okay? What do you think? You can get one? Yeah, get some of those. Yeah, you're going to like it. Get one of those. I have two of them. And one in my office, too. Here. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Matthew Arad is with us, CanadianPatriot.org. Did you know that the, that the Vatican has a big pine cone? I, a friend of mine who's a real... Oh, I, I had no, I had no idea. I have no a idea. A friend of mine means. who's a real patriot guy, he went to, to Rome because he was all into finding out what the Pope was up to. So we went there, and he came back and he told me, he said, Patrick, they have a huge, like a, a cement monument to the pine cone in the Vatican, you know, in the, in the square, you know, right there where the Pope stands, you know, above the... And I, so I don't know what that's about. If you ever find out, let yeah, me know. I, Matthew. Yeah, well, I, that's that's very strange. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> okay, so over the years, it sounds like this is nothing new, this idea of lying to the people, right? Lying to the yeah. people and letting them, convincing them that this is true and that is true. And do you think this is part and parcel of the more you lie to them and the more they believe a lie, then the more they're going to believe the next lie? You know what I'm kind of getting at is JFK, 9-11, whatever. You know, the medical model, surgery is good, farms are good. If you keep convincing people on a spiritual level, I get the idea, and then that's the only reason they were really able to sell COVID is because people just kind of believe what they, what they were told. Does that have yeah, any value I you're, for I think you? You're totally, you're totally right. That's a, that's a very good observation, and... Uh we were talking, you know, I mentioned how people tend to adapt to pre-existing uh, sets of rules. You know, st- mm-hmm. students are conditioned, like I said, to, to ask, well, what are the rules? What is the right answer that I should come up with? They don't think like, well, um, how, can I, how can I problem solve? That's not how, how problems are framed for students. So <clears throat> if, if you tend to, you could also adapt to lies, you know, like if you live in a culture that's shaped increasingly by falsity, then you then you only recognize um, the characteristics of that which is false, but you don't recognize that it's false. Otherwise, you would willfully select another. You don't know how to how to judge. That's the thing, right? That's yeah. the idea of wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom, wisdom is discernment. The, the It's a power of discernment of right from wrong and desiring the right. So that means the cultivation of the emotions, because sometimes you can discern right from wrong intellectually, but your heart might still want what is wrong, right? So... so that's not really quite the the full wisdom yet. That's a that's a precondition, 
obviously if you can't discern right from wrong you could be a good person who feels really good who loves your neighbor and loves your kids and all, all these you could be the nicest person but if you can't intellectually discern right from wrong on you know intellectually right. you could your consent to to nazism as we see with a lot of very good people supporting the conversion of society into a a, a medical you know dictatorship today yeah. um good nice people i've got no problem with the majority of people around, who are you know really advocates of of getting 18 you know booster shots um it's <laughs> not fully their <laughs> they're nice people right they wouldn't they wouldn't see themselves as being a part of an ss mob or something um but there's something that they're missing so the question okay wisdom is the ability intellectually to discern and also the cultivation of the passions to be in alignment with what your reason can say is the right thing. And mm -hmm. if you if you can increasingly tune both of those things, um, I think they'd increasingly qualify as a wise, as a person of wisdom. Yes, sir. I, um, I, I hear what you're and saying. So, and universities don't do this, right? None of them do they. They just teach you good. to remember. Well, I don't shouldn't say none of them, but in general, don't they just teach kids what to, you know, what to what to remember? Experience. Yeah. Uh, I think that you have good teachers sometimes as outliers who, despite the university that they're a part of, will tend to be as good people, purveyors of, of this type of, of teaching method, but there's very few. And usually when those who, who do try to do it, when they do it too long, they tend to uh, <laughs> uh, ruffle feathers or get in trouble or lose their license, you know, yeah. to teach. Right. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I think that when you build, when you, when you allow a society to be built on fall fallacious uh, policies for too long, then you start creating. Um, it's it's like when you go when you're building a um, let's say in a, in a schoolroom. Let's say you have to do a, a mathematical problem, and you have to make both sides balance, right? So you're doing your steps of your of your problem. You're problem solving like what is x, and so you're making both. You always know that both sides of the mathematical problem have to somehow balance as you get to your solution. But let's say somewhere along the way, early on, you make a little misstep. That's a fallacy. But then you don't notice it, and then you build. On top of that assumption of a fallacy, you, you thinking that it's right, you build another, the next step, and the next step, and and that little tiny error gets bigger and bigger. And so within like eight steps, you're now like so far removed from anything true. You're on another path, right? Like it's, and and if and you have to sort of go back and think, okay, where along my path did I misstep? Did I end up in the middle? Of, I was on a trail. Now all of a sudden I'm in the middle of a freaking forest with like wolves howling. I don't know how to get back to the the path. I'm. It's all dark. What do I do? So you have to be very careful to retrace your steps and figure out, okay, where did I go wrong and how do I, I correct that? So policies and time and history are very, this, it's very much the same thing with human history. Yeah. Um, like yeah. the American Revolution was founded upon something solid. That was the right step to take. You, that's the reason why you would do a social reform around the idea that a nation should not be governed by the, the will of a hereditary elite to impose its uh, desires onto the weaker. That's not the foundation for a good set of laws. It should rather be what you have in the Declaration and the Constitution, uh, much more solidly grounded. And so that was a good, correct step. And along the way, there were efforts to get the U.S. to, let's say, misstep, like the idea of, of saying in, in the 1790s, um, we will commit, our current economy is still way too reliant on slavery, but we will commit, and I think every single colony, every single state, all agreed that they would absolve, get rid of slavery, get rid of the slave trade. Six of them said immediately, we're going to get rid of it right now. The other one said, okay, in 20 years, we're going to like, we're going to get rid of our dependency and we're going to immediately start banning the, the import of new slaves. So they're obviously putting themselves onto a path of emancipation. That's good. Another good step. But then something happens because you, you know, you're dealing with now 
deep state. You're dealing with reality of, of empire. And there's there's operations now being done to um, to preserve the slave trade artificially. And, and certain people make certain bad decisions, like Thomas Jefferson decides to renege on his promise to do this. And he says, no, instead, we're going to support the slave power instead. We're, that's going to be the... And I don't think Jefferson is a bad guy. But his decision to do that created a new type of misstep which was which created a tradition of people who then built upon that in with now a, a bad form which you know and so these these things can blossom in very bad ways as well as good ways and and the, the challenge for future leaders is how do we bring society back to the proper path um and since jfk died jfk was was bring trying to bring us back to the right path he was pretty you know, evolved wasn't he? he was pretty evolved mm-hmm. guy wasn't jfk a pretty good guy that, that 900 days that he was president was very very involved yeah wow. and, and i mean there was nothing that he didn't fight on there's no level like he he was wow he came out and he understood that the nature of the game was against Malthus- malthusian depopulation theories and he there's speeches i read of him of his describing the fallacy of Thomas Malthus, the, the British East India Company uh, philosopher who, who was the first to put out the idea that the governments of the world must always use a formula of population control based on the theory that population would always grow geometrically and food would always grow arithmetically or resources such that you could always forecast where the crisis was going to be and act now by encouraging depopulation to, and that means, you know, British Empire, that's, that's controlled famines in India and Ireland, that's uh, artificial wars to keep people from fighting so that they don't, their populations don't grow, encourage plagues, you know, if need be, uh, discourage hospitals, whatever. It's, it's all justified because the higher, the higher ends are good, which is harmony of human beings and nature. So they, they justify all of these evil actions with a good, which I, they don't even really believe because they kind of know that they're lying, but whatever. So JFK, but he wrote against that. He wrote against that JFK. Spoke out against that, and that was what was driving his concept of what the space program was designed to be: was a way to organize society's best talents towards the achieving of goals that were impossible, and providing the financial means to carry out the the goal. So you give a goal, you give the means to carry it out, and then you give the inspiration to people to uh, to become you know scientists. And nothing in our economy was unaffected by the drive of the space program. I mean, our, our cell phones, GPS, internet, uh, materials processing, uh, uh, EKGs, medical technologies, everything that we have today came out of that process, that crash science program to make that what these were nonlinear surprises along the way that we need to build to get hmm. a job done. Hmm. Um, so Jeff understood that and uh, and he was fighting to do this to, to provide scientific and technological progress for South America for Africa helping Kwame Nkrumah build the biggest dam of hydroelectric power station in Africa for an industrialization policy of the African continent. Um, he was working with de Gaulle um, on, on many levels. Um, and, and there were a lot of these humanists who I got to keep in mind, you hold this in mind. Enrico Mattei, the, the assassinated Italian um, industrialist who was also working with de Gaulle and Adenauer and working with African countries to develop um, JFK, Adenauer, uh, Matei, um, de Gaulle. They're also working in tandem with the humanist functions within the Catholic Church. All of them were devout Catholics. Yeah, they were. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. It's not something you could ignore. The fact is, and I'm not saying that this means that Catholicism is the, the, the right path. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying 
is that there is a practical reality of the existing structures of influence during the 1940s, 50s, and 60s that made these particular leaders very, uh, very potent. It in many ways um, had a a um, a power structure that identified relatively easily the evil of Malthusian ideas or Darwinian ideas of social reforms that were being brought in through eugenics and other things in different societies or different parts of the world after Hitler had lost. And they were able to mobilize activists of uh, people in different parts of the world relatively easily because of their hierarchical structure um, to, to go and lobby and stop the types of satanic reforms that were being done in the 1950s and 60s in the education system. Um, so they were a problem. They were seen as a problematic thing for those um, Nazi eugenics, social engineers and financiers who wanted to bring about a world of dystopic yeah. population control. And so again, the, the, the political expression of this in the form of Mete's work, JFK, De Gaulle, Adenauer, others um, is, cannot be ignored in the fact that all of these guys were either assassinated, as was the case of JFK and oh, That's right, they or, all were. They all were assassinated. Well, de Gaulle was not assassinated. No, no he was shot um, at, was though, right? Wasn't he shot um, at? Wasn't de Gaulle shot at? He had 32 assassination attempts that he survived. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought, yeah. And as a side note, wow. for the conspiracy theorists wow. out there, yeah. um, one that's that people might find of interest is that um, the French intelligence recognized that the at least two of those assassination attempts and the story of the jackal comes out of that he's that was one of the the characters who was, who right. was used as a mercenary to attempt one of the assassinations but they the french intelligence discovered that the orchestrators who were providing the money was um and the the the, the orders was an italian-based firm with a headquarter a, a branch in montreal canada called permindex the permanent industrial exhibition which was banned from France for, for their role in doing this. They, they went to Montreal and South Africa. They, they basically got banned from, from Switzerland and from France. Um, and uh, the head of it, in, in, in the case of the Montreal branch, was a guy named um, General, uh, Major General Maurice, uh, Louis, Mortimer, Louis Mortimer Bloomfield is his name. And uh, Louis Mortimer Bloomfield, <clears throat> was an OSS guy who's Canadian, but he worked with the OSS with, with John Foster Dulles. Um, and, uh, and he was the international legal expert on, on inter, inter, uh, national, uh, uh, what is, what's called, uh, uh, governmental international water boundary transfers. And he basically was used, he, he worked with a team to justify why no water should ever come out of Canada to the United States, which is what JFK was trying to work on with his allies in British Columbia. So he blocked a lot of these, these developments, which would have been necessary to avoid the, the type of West Coast uh, crisis that we're currently facing. You would have had to have had a lot more water availability uh -huh. to avoid the type of thing that's facing today. But he was also um, on the group that was called the 1001 Club that was founded by Prince Bernhard and Prince Philip. Um, as well as Maurice Strong was a member. Um, and this club was set up as a nature trust in 1969 or 70 um, to provide money for the growing environmental movement. And Prince Philip, Prince Bernhard, these other eugenicists like Julian Huxley had already created the World Wildlife Fund for Nature in 1961 to start reorganizing the ethic of humanity from being 
from saving humanity from empire, which is what the former ethic was, to saving nature from humanity, which is what the World Wildlife Fund and these other new conservation movements want to change their paradigm. And so Mortimer Bloomfield was a founding member of that. He becomes the vice president of the World Wildlife Fund for Nature under Prince Philip, who was the president. Um, and and he and Maury Strong is is the next vice president, the guy who creates the in, in, uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change, and uh, and he's like sort of the, the founding father of also a co-founder of the World Economic Forum is Maury Strong with Klaus Schwab. Um, so you see this this whole wow. network wow. that JFK was directly fighting against, who weren't just intellectually fighting JFK, but they actually were part of the operation. Which and Jim Garrison proved that that Permindex yeah, was at the heart of the JFK assassination. That Whoa. Jim Garrison is the attorney of New Orleans. That you know Kevin Costner played him in, yeah, the, I remember. in the JFK movie. Yeah, yeah, Garrison. So boy, yeah. these these folks, man, you start messing with them and they they'll kill you. <laughs> I mean, you know, well, they, they, they want to. They want to. <laughs> they'll try to. Yeah. Are these the same folks? And probably, do you think that these are the same people that were? been trying to get get rid of trump for four years yeah exactly pretty much exactly. same people they just yeah the names go right they're mostly the, the the people who ran the jfk thing were mostly dead by the time trump came in some of them were alive like kissinger uh, yeah you know? yeah but uh but the idea the ideology and the governing they don't um yeah. structures yeah they're totally the same thing you could see the direct continuity guys are thinking to, way to too the, outside the box for us dude no you, know, you just can't be around you know, there's there's word around the campfire now that no matter what Trump does, and just some people that I've heard that supposedly are in on the in on the deal that uh, they're just never going to let Trump run again. He just never. I mean, they they're really you know they're they not, never want to let that happen. That, that should never have happened in their minds. Like the, yeah, right. The, we, it, we, I mean, part of it is that the oligarchy. One of their their Achilles' heels is that they're arrogant as all as all hell. So they got, I think very confident in their um in their sense of having indisputable power for a very long time and so their script their new world order script what was moving along for many years relatively unchallenged especially since the collapse of the soviet union you know uh-huh. um and so with that arrogance with that hubris came um a lot of sloppiness and uh they they just couldn't even imagine What's that? Oh, I was just talking to my dog. She was dreaming. Did you? Could you hear me? I turned my microphone off. That's okay. Go ahead. So, so that. So, just to interrupt. I'm sorry to interrupt. I didn't mean to. Yeah. But, but when you get over overconfident and hubris, then you make mistakes. Is what you're saying? Yeah, and, and Trump uh, was there to capitalize on those mistakes, and and I think that it gave a lot of people. Um, it shook them out of their their stupor because even many people who had been conspiracy theorists who had been sort of following the new world order uh you know way of looking at history in the world um and there's a lot of misinformation but a lot of people at least had woken up to the bullshit of 9-11 of the international bankers whatever it is right a lot of the people including myself i had before trump actually was victorious in 2016 i i was also a little bit cynical i, I mean i uh, you know just seeing how evil this thing is and how high up the the, the ladder it goes the idea that there was any possibility of resisting the script was hard to imagine. 
I was I was enlivened. I saw a little bit of resistance coming out of Russia and of China, mm-hmm. especially after 2012 and 12, 2013 when the Belt and Road Initiative was was launched officially, and and that gave me some sense of okay, maybe there is some possibility of resistance out there somewhere, but I don't see it in my part of the world at all. I was still sort of you know like all right, I'll just try to be a good person, saying the truth as far as I can on the Titanic, you know, while we right. <laughs> while we go down. And listen to some beautiful music, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but seeing that Hillary did not win, though she was supposed to, by all st- statistical probability, um, shook a lot of people out because there were, we we got to realize, well, oh shit, there's actually a fight that is feasibly uh, that's something you can engage in, even here in the corrupt North American zone. And so, you know, Trump did uh, a lot of. I mean, he's underestimated for the the type of, of stuff he had to navigate around and negotiate with and fight with. Uh, it's a, it's incredible the level of evil power structures, and people will criticize him for X Y Z things. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah capitulating to uh, Zionist lobby interests, whatever. There's so many things. But the point is, if you actually look at the real power structures and look what was challenged by him taking us out of uh, the the Paris Accords, the World Health Organization. Uh, removing the U.S. engagement from NATO, um, calling for U.S.-China-Russia cooperation <laughs> on big projects, which he did several times, which scared the shit out of these financier interests who don't want that. They've, they've been afraid of a U.S.-China-Russia alliance, of sovereign nation states cooperating on big projects that bring us together. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been afraid of that since JFK called for it in 1963. Um, they've been afraid of it since since... Uh, FDR, Franklin Roosevelt, called for, you know, a China-U.S.-Russia alliance around uh, exporting the International New Deal projects for Africa and the, and the rest of the world to end colonialism. They've been afraid of it this whole time, right? And, and, and they're able to oftentimes initiate assassinations and destabilizations to, to disrupt the flow of that organic creative evolution of our species. But when Trump started doing that again... I, I think it kept a few oligarchs up at night and uh, and they tried very hard to light fires yeah. uh, once again all over the place, so, which so, was a coup d'etat. The, the U.S. was cooed under the form of, Mal, you know, Mark Malik Brown and, and his bosom buddy, George Soros, who did coordinate as point men um, an operation that utilized everything. It was a full spectrum effort to conduct I don't even. I don't know if what I'm saying now might even get you banned from YouTube. I'm sorry if it does. Uh, but uh, I, I, I'm, we're not on YouTube. We don't. They don't let we're us. We're not okay. Well, all the better. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, there was there was a completely coordinated, um, you know, vote vote rigging system that was sure. conducted w- with activists sponsored by Mark Zuckerberg, who gave 350 million dollars to reforming all of the. Um, the, the platform for voting and vote reading and and hiring your staff right um it was full 350 spectrum. million dollars 350 million dollars yeah. is the donation mark zuckerberg gave for his love of democracy yeah. and matthew what happened to this this forensic audit in, in arizona it's like it just went away i mean and they kind of and the media just made it they turned it totally around and said oh nothing there was nothing here and there was there was all kinds of crazy stuff they found if you oh, man, on the alternative media, what happened to that? How it just poof gone, one way. Well, this is this is the thing. It, it's psychological warfare. It's intimidation. Yeah. It's like seeing that you know you're you're uh, <laughs> you're you're in a, a prison yard and uh, there's a, a couple, a small gang of really nasty psychopaths, and they just go and kill somebody innocent in front of like 
the 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 prison uh population all the prisoners are just like watching in horror as this person is getting stabbed to death and they're these this like gang of four or five sociopaths are just looking at everybody saying this is not happening okay <laughs> and it's like everybody could easily overpower them easily but they're all like oh okay yeah it's not happening yeah. it's like, and, if, and as soon as you capitulate to that Whoa. you lose something of your soul yeah. you lose your power of judgment you 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 lose a, something that makes you human and that's what they're trying to do by intimidation i don't they haven't succeeded yet but that, that's the that's their path is intimidate people to shut the fuck up and look the other way even matthew, though you know what's happening you don't need to drop f-bombs matthew Arrett is worth his canadian patriot.org matthew Arrett, you're, you're fun to talk to so so that would really give credence to the idea and i was there i was a junior in high school i remember the moment going up to lunch at uh, 12 30 in 1963 when they when they got old John, murdered him at high noon, that's when the game, the worm really turned, right? That's when, that's when they really said, well, now we're going to step on the gas. Yeah, and again, same intimidation, right? Like Jim Garrison, the district attorney of New Orleans, like I said, was one of the few people who had the courage to speak out, but very, a lot of people who were in a position to know and did know were all intimidated. And say anything, yeah quiet and um and you had you had some people who tried rear guard actions like so for those who don't know uh, uh after the warren commission which was obviously a fraud because alan dulles ran it and and he was the head of the cia that that uh jfk fired right um all of a sudden now you're you're assigned to be the guy to run the warren commission um that's already shady and, and people were able to see that there was a huge amount of evidence regarding multiple shooters that had nothing to do with Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. A lot of evidence. Yeah, a lot of evidence. A lot of evidence. People knew about the magic bullet. Um, they, they, there were so many things, and there were so many witnesses who died mysteriously before they could even testify, not only to the Warren Commission, but also to the Jim Garrison Commission. Um, something like 40 or 50 people yes. who were witnesses to the grassy knoll and other, other anomalies. Uh, Disappeared. Yeah, just disappeared, just died mysteriously. The the woman who interviewed uh, Jack Ruby, she was a television personality on uh, Guess My Line. She was also killed right before she could write her articles exposing what Dorothy Kilgallen. Yeah, Dorothy Kilgallen. Yeah, exactly. You know, okay, exactly. Yeah, and uh, wow. uh, yeah, so many and people who were even a part of the the actual uh, plot itself. Some of them were were being called to testify, and they died before they could. Like uh, Ferry, David Ferry. David Ferry. was a handler of, yeah. of Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, he died as well um, before he could testify under the, Gar- the Garrison Commission. So, um, so Clay he, Shaw was able to stay alive yeah, they, uh, because he, he yeah. was really good at being evil. Um, but he also worked with, with Mortimer Bloomfield very closely. At uh, And these guys were all like hedonistic uh, degenerates uh, on a very very high degree. They all like hung out together on things like the uh, uh, the trial club resort. You know, trial club, but just try everything. So they're all like personally, they have this this unifying ethic of of wanting to have sex with anything that moves um, as personal sort of things that unite them in in, in a domain of like weird trust. And um, and the uh, and Jim Garrison tried. And there were Hollywood, like people in Hollywood, like uh, uh, Trumbo, the the scriptwriter who right. did Spartacus. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he worked with a team of people to create a movie uh, that's under underrated today, but people could rent this online. I think it's maybe 15 bucks, but it's called uh, Executive Action in 1973. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah first, can, you still, can you still see that thing? Yeah, Executive Action. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you could, you could rent it online. It's not the, the, it's not, they had a low budget, but I mean, what they're exposing in that movie, there's a whole dialogue with one of the key plotters of the JFK hit who's obviously representing a very high powerfully placed oligarchy and he says so and and when they're having their dialogue between Burt Lac Lancaster's character and this other guy I forgot his name um it comes out that well why are we doing this it's because it's because the world is overpopulated we need a Vietnam War is JFK right? is trying to, yeah, to wow. stop this I have to happening. go back and watch this that again. Part of a yeah. broader scheme <laughs> to stop the darker skinned races the uh the low IQ whites from from pro, uh, propagating, and we need to keep the population less than a billion. And he says so in that dialogue. It's a very explosive and important dialogue. Um, that was 1973. But then increasingly, people just sort of gave in to the uh, the post, you know, the 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 me generation. You know, it's too, it, it's not worth making waves. Just just adapt, give in, look out for number one. Yeah, you know, right. just make money. Money's coming coming easy nowadays. So just just look out for yourself and your family and that corruption became like a lot of nice people all fell into the me generation and and immediately that just created a whole new corruption that tolerated more reforms of the education system more dumbing down of younger people to the point that where there were a couple of generations separated and you can only imagine what young people who grew up after 9 11 they're they're adults now leading into the workforce these are young people whose whole identities have been the post 9 11 era and, and it's even scarier the kids who are being born now right and who are living in the post you know covid era what type of what type of uh, uh mushy mushy minds <laughs> mushy. distorted minds mushy are mind. these poor kids gonna have um as they become 30 40 years old and, and start running the world in 2050 when uh, the so-called you know um <laughs> goals of the of the car decarbonization of the world are supposed to be finalized and the world is supposed to go into ray kurtzweil's uh you know, he's predicted his singularity, right? Where human beings merge with machines and all this crazy shit. Um, okay. so, that's 2050's singularity point. These kids are going to be adults. Like, yeah. they will know nothing but virtual reality and drugs, and they won't know anything about reality. Uh, I'm going to take a final break, and then we're going to wrap it up, and then we'll just go back uh, to COP26. This has been great fun. Sure. And then I'm going to ask you how... Well, I got I got a couple good questions for you. You stay right there. Don't, don't go away. The first supplement I like to take in the morning, right after I wake up, is Pine Pollen Pure Potency, or P4. This is Cirque Rival's flagship testosterone and androgen support formula. It's made with the pollen of pine trees, which is rich in testosterone, androstenedione, DHEA, and a bunch of plant sterols. These are all substances, phytochemicals, that support the body's natural androgens, or male hormones. Of course, men and women are using this product, but usually it's men in andropause. Men after age 40 whose testosterone production has started to decline. Many of Sir Thrival supplements can be taken any time of day, but Pine Pollen Pure Potency, it's important that you take at very specific times of the day. Now it can be taken once, twice, or three times, depending on how much you want to supplement yourself with the phytoandrogens found in it. But the key is taking it at morning, right upon waking, midday or noon, and then again right before bed. 
So once, twice, or three times a day, but always at those times. And that's because that's when your body's naturally producing its own testosterone. And all we wanna do is amplify that sine wave. We don't wanna start to take testosterone at a time where our body's purged it from the bloodstream. Instead, we wanna take it at a time where those levels are already spiking and we're just subtly helping to increase them. This product tastes fantastic. I think of it like an orange creamsicle. And that's because in addition to that subtle pine flavor, there's a little bit of orange peel, Tahitian vanilla bean, cloves, and then a little bit of maple syrup just to give it this nice kind of sweet orange flavor. So it's really delicious and easy to take. So if you're looking to increase your testosterone or androgen levels and you want an alternative to pharmaceutical testosterone replacement therapies, there's nothing that does it better than pine pollen pure potency. See, I'm a guy so I don't really listen to directions so I should only take it at 8 o'clock, but I do. <laughs> but you can find it on OneRadioNetwork.com. This is a wonderful product. Uh, there was a fellow in, um, uh, this is a great history, I won't call it, get into it deeply, but uh, back around Gorbachev time, uh, they, they wanted to come up with a super biofood in Russia, uh, the, the Russian government, because they're, you know, they're all into strength and winning the Olympics and all this stuff. And um, they hired a, a Dr. Michael Kiriak to create a bio superfood uh, using uh, different microalgaes, and they had this bioreactor idea, and they spent a lot of money on it, millions and millions of dollars, and he worked on it for about 10 years. Can you imagine? Well, using, you know, lots of, lots of rubles. And he came up with a, a, a formula after all of this research that was very, very unique of using four different microalgaes, spirulina, dutalina, um, salina, and uh, astaxanthin in a special combination in a bioreactor so there wasn't exposure to any kind of uh, pollutions or even in the ocean where there could be some yuck stuff from, uh, uh, you know, whatever they throw in the ocean, you know, uh, paper bags and, I mean, plastic band stuff. So anyway, they were really uh, working on this. He had it all pretty much accomplished. And then Chernobyl happened, and then that whole thing fell apart, and they canceled it because of Chernobyl. And then Michael Kiriak is now up where Matthew is in Canada, and they're producing this, and it's an incredible product. It's, it's, you can feel this stuff. I mean, it's called Bio Superfood. It's on our website, and it's these little small capsules, and they have about three or four different kinds of... Uh, you know, it's F1, F2, F3, and being an Italian Scorpio, I just do F3 because it's the most expensive one. So, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, but you can feel it. And this is a food, uh, and uh, you could just, if you want to lose weight, you could just take a lot of this, or if you just want to uh, take it after your meal, and uh, it'll help feed your, feed your little body. So it's a, it's a great product. A bio superfood. So I think that's it for this break, and then we're going to go back and talk to Matthew. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. We've been talking uh, with Matthew Errett at CanadianPatriot.org. Tell folks about your website. You have a newsletter, right? And they, they can, what, what kind of things are going to find there when they go visit? Well, uh, yeah, the Canadian, don't don't be cut off by the name. It um, it does tackle sometimes some Canadian um, uh, geopolitical analysis, but usually it's international and philosophical um, in scope. 
and a lot of history as well. Um, they, uh, if they sign up to the newsletter, it's a, it's my Substack, Matthew Errett dot substack.com maybe you can make that a, a a note in the description box or something and and i put out something usually every day or two um that includes just my my two cents about where the world's going um where why it's happening what to do about it in terms of like pathways for the future um and with my wife cynthia we organized a um an organization that we created recreated in uh 2019 called the rising tide foundation which is a uh, it's risingtidefoundation.net, which features weekly seminars, lectures, touching on um, real science, not the not the type of crap that we're being fed by standard models, but really like what is the history and the future of real scientific discoveries that are happening um, outside of many universities, um, literature, history. So we we try to like tackle classical humanist educational reforms that we need to see if society is going to become something worth uh or that has the moral fitness to survive um <laughs> something worth surviving <laughs> i like the yeah, way you I put mean, that. you know like you, you <laughs> want to look for the good and the beautiful humanity but it's hard to find sometimes if you just you know <laughs> go to your yes. university uh so uh, that's, great. that's that's what we're doing and also i just published a, a book um not that long ago called about two months ago called the clash of the two americas volume one mm -hmm. And in about a week or two, Volume 2 should be out. Volume 1 tackles the 1776 to 1901 death of McKinley. And Volume 2 is going to tackle the death of McKinley all the way up until the future. So we're going to feature the stories of people like Warren Harding, like Franklin Roosevelt, his fight against the British Empire, his fight against the deep state, JFK, Bobby Kennedy, Martin Luther King. Wow. All the way up to the takeover of the U.S. under Kissinger. And uh, the fight back against that in the last several years with the Belt and Road Initiative, the Multipolar Alliance, which in many ways are, are picking up my thesis is that these countries are picking up the torch that was left by JFK, which involves national protectionism, cooperation on big projects, uh, a very long term future orientation that's anti Malthusian, anti depopulation. Um, and which is open and inviting us to join it, which is why those who are controlling Biden are working so hard to put up walls against Russia, against China, or right. spit in their fate, antagonize, antagonize them with the threat of war and other things, um, which is also unfortunately absorbing many pro-Trump people in Canada and the United States who are falling for a lot of psyops and misinformation being spread into the zeitgeist that's trying to paint China or Russia as the, the bad guys. Yeah, as the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned McKinley, and as you know, McKinley, he kind of messed with the money, right? And JFK messed with the money, and oh. and you don't want to mess oh, with the yeah. money, boy. They'll they'll take pot shots at you every day. Right? <laughs> oh, well, there's something in this this American system of political economy that every single president who dies in office—that's also the thesis in my two books. If you actually look at what every single president who dies while in office by by gun by gunshots or by poisoning or other nefarious means—and there's eight of them directly—and plus, if you include Alexander Hamilton, and if you include. Uh, Bobby Kennedy, who would have become president, or, or Martin Luther King, who was essentially a presidential type figure. Um, there, there's even more than eight people, but they're all invoking the exact same policy and philosophical outlook guiding that policy, both for, for its internal economic development, national banking, long-term credit emissions, right. protectionism, uh, large-scale development of your infrastructure. Um, all of them are taking power away from the same Wall Street London uh, financiers. And internationally, they're all trying to export this system of development not like not like biden is trying to export democracy via regime change and bombs 
<laughs> which has been the trend now for the past decades. It's not like that. They've actually been trying to export the right of every nation to stand on their own two feet by developing full spectrum economies and high technology, which allows you to overcome the, the Malthusian mathematical limits. Um, all of them do it. So, wow. yeah, that, that's a that's Eight of them. Theme. So we have McKinley and then Jeff, uh, Jackson, right? Andrew Jackson was shot at. Um, that might have been a little bit more cooked up for propaganda's sake. Oh, uh, he, he wasn't shot at? Oh, I thought he was. Well, they say, you know, the, the, the guns misfired and stuff. Yeah. I mean, a lot of stuff. Who, I, I who, so who was, were the presidents that were messing with the money kind of thing? You know, uh, yeah, no, no. Jackson actually has been turned into a mytholo mythologized folk hero. But if you but actually he, look at what he's not he really. Did, yeah, I, I've been reading. Oh, no, not at all. Yeah. No, he killed the, 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 uh, the National Bank, which yeah. Harrison was the first president to die in office in 1840 harrison was fighting with lincoln and with john quincy adams as a whig to revive the hamiltonian banking system because when jackson killed the second national bank um to pay the debt he basically stopped all development projects all infrastructure projects were all ground to a halt the u.s stagnated and he opened up the door to mass free trade gave every state the right to control their own local currency so it became a very dissolved, divided to conquered nation, which couldn't coordinate any type of common action for anything. And with that, there were, nobody wanted to invest in the United States. There was no, no international investment meant the, the buying power of the dollar collapsed. Speculation rose massively because everything was so volatile and it became just uh, essentially crippled massively, just like we've done to Greece, you know, under the IMF. Wow. Just stop all development, pay your debt. And then when Harrison tried to revive the National Bank, and, and it passed in Congress and in the Senate, and it was on his desk. He died within 30 days. And uh, after him, you had uh, another Whig who got power 10 years later, who died within a, two years. Who was that? Uh, Zachary, Zachary Taylor. Zachary Taylor. He died of uh, bad cherries and milk, as oh, they good. say. Bad cherries and milk, yeah. Uh, bad cherries. And, uh, and after that, the slave power took over control. The Wall Street powers took over control. There was no real, nobody of merit inside of the federal executive branch until until Lincoln, um, who was also assassinated, as we know, before he could really see through the full vision that he had, both for the USA and for internationally. And then 20 years later, you had Garfield, who was shot, who was Garfield. trying to get a whole war program to, to declare war on Britain. Um, and uh, then after Garfield, who was killed the same period that Tsar Alexander II was was killed by an anarchist run by London, which also was the same cell, the same network that killed McKinley, run by this guy, Peter uh, Prince Peter uh, Kropotkin, an internationally renowned biologist, Darwinian uh, Russian aristocrat who uh, ran anarchist movements like Emma Goldman's to, that was very useful in destabilizing target nations or killing uh, statesmen who you didn't like. And uh, my friend Martin Seif wrote wrote a lot of articles on on Kropotkin, um, but that that's what then killed. So uh, Alexander the Second, Alexander the Third, by 1895 is poisoned. Just as these guys are bringing in the American system in Russia to help Russia develop, industrialize, break free of 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 uh, feudalism, and uh, and then McKinley dies. Then you have Harding who dies Harding. of oysters when Harding is trying to revive this uh, national American bank system. In he was, he huh? was Harding uh, trying to get the National Bank back too, as well. He didn't go. No. He didn't. He was not alive enough, uh, long enough to go that far. But he would. His main job was to break, uh, break the League of Nations. He uh -huh. took the U.S. out of any, any he was a relationship. He was a League national. of Nations. Yeah, yeah. Those Which oysters. Those oysters will get you, boy. You got to be careful about those. Those oh, oysters. Yeah, they'll. they'll 
it's funny they call it food poisoning but then they say oh yeah he died of natural causes yeah but it's like poisoning food poisoning it's like <laughs> so, food. so who was after him who was after uh, uh well then after after he dies uh you have uh about nine years ten years of uh of Wall Street control under under Andrew, Andrew Mellon, who was a J.P. Morgan stooge, yeah. who was running the U.S. economy for New York Mellon years. Bank, right? New York Mellon Bank. Yep. Yeah. So they turned the U.S. into a basket case speculative economy. Uh, they they support the rise of eugenics throughout this time. Uh, so eugenics is becoming popular and, and supported across the across the wow. board. Then FDR dies because um, FDR fights against this thing. Does a pretty good job. But he dies early on uh, in his fourth term in April 12th, 1945. Again, no autopsy ever done. Stalin is persuaded and tells FDR's son that the killers were Churchill's people embedded in your government. And these are the same people who've been trying to kill me. Um, Whoa. FDR's, I mean, a lot of FDR's closest allies are uh, destroyed by all being, they're all being labeled red commies and destroyed under the, the, the witch hunts of uh, the FBI of, under Hoover. Um, Harry Dexter White, for example, is the first director of the, the, the IMF who dies while campaigning for Henry Wallace for president in, in 48. Um, both of them are labeled red commies to be, and, and they're, they're destroyed, um, one through death, one through just, you know, politically untouchable. Mm -hmm. Like, like he becomes like a, <laughs> what they want to do to Trump is what they did to Henry Wallace. And, uh, and, and then you have some, some pushback under, under Eisenhower, Eisenhower tries but he's a little bit more naive makes a lot of bad, bad missteps trusts too many bad people but he tries in various mm -hmm. ways to sort of resist mm -hmm. in a limited fashion and, and course, you know jfk comes in, we know jfk's story and then we have obviously martin luther king uh, and i'll throw in you know malcolm x became a very potent force yeah. of uh, in in 60 in the 60s uh who was ally who be, when he came back from mecca you know he he wanted to align his movement um, which was breaking off from the uh, uh, um, the nation of Islam uh, around a, a very potent potent uh, faction of of Islam inside of the United States, because he was like, I, up until now, I was naive. I thought Islam Islam was purely a black thing, and I, I went to Mecca and I discovered there's white people everywhere. And and he started talking to people, and his mind grew amazingly. And when he came back, he was like, maybe Martin Luther King is onto something. I didn't realize. And he and he meets with MLK. He's like, okay, let's work together, okay? We're going to collaborate from this point forward. And that's when he became a threat, and they had to eliminate him. Um, and Bobby, okay, of course. Bobby. You know, dies. Yeah, that's an FBI cover-up. And even a, a, there was a Tennessee court um, that did a, a trial in 1998-99 with the, Kennedy, uh, the King family that found um, the <laughs> government of the United States complicit in the murder and cover-up of, of MLK. Mm -hmm. Bobby Kennedy, of course. Um, and from that point on, there was very little resistance. I would say for good measure, you did have one of the lone voices within the United States who did rise to the occasion was the figure of Lyndon LaRouche, who I think from 1968 onward actually was one of the few sort of consciences who called out the trilateral commission takeover, the Kissinger machine. And he actually was working with other governments to bring about a revival of this American system from Mexico Sportillo mm -hmm. to Indira Gandhi, who was invited invited him to go and, and make policy so you had that and how he about, was, how about john you know, lennon too john lennon right john lennon they was off, interesting they offed him somebody offed him it, you know it wasn't no, this what well because he he was he was a good person oh, and yeah, i think he was. that he was uh, a good guy he broke from profile 
he definitely broke from profile. They originally wanted him as sort of an anarchist type of cultish figure in the 60s mm-hmm. uh, who would like pee on nuns and like had disdain for for Christ and all that. that so they, they liked him for that that stuff and the LSD and they, they liked that part but then by the the late 70s when he started developing more of a political consciousness right he was, he was like well how about I use my influence to maybe do something and and encourage people to get politically active in New York and, and around the world so when he ran for mayor um, it was too contradictory to what they wanted to be done into New York at that time which he would not have gone along with. So, yeah, yeah they, they definitely ousted him at that point. They ousted him. Yeah. A kind way to and, put it, ousted him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, they do with it, yeah. Do you think that, do you think, again, another do you think Reagan thing, like do you think that was just a one-off, the Reagan thing, or do you, do you think? Yeah, that was connected. It was, was the same it thing, right? The, 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 fix it, the fascination with uh, their killers having the same fascination with uh, on the Rye, having very similar psych profiles. Hmm. They were obviously deconstructed and, and deployed as Manchurian-type uh, personalities and reagan yeah that's a good point you just brought that up i forgot about that yeah. but 81 right right 81. when reagan steps in he's making a point that we're going to resist the malthusian uh outlook we're going to go for development projects um he's even bringing in larouche as his advice uh, on on different points oh, advising him on, uh-huh. on the strategic defense initiative uh to create what jfk was trying to do in 63 which is to create a u.s russian cooperation around scientific progress to co-control this new system of um, plasma-based lasers that would deactivate a nuclear bomb that would be launched anywhere in the world, thus rendering nuclear war obsolete. Um, that's what Reagan came out on TV and endorsed. Um, wow. So that was one of one of LaRouche's um, babies uh, for a very long time. He was advocating that. And so um, Reagan got shot for a, mere, a variety of things that he was doing. He should have died. And that was, a, that was right before, because two popes also, right? Just as you have this Jesuitical takeover under Vatican II in the 60s, you have two popes by the end of 1970, Pope John Paul I, who dies with 30 days after becoming the pope, he dies. And what is he about to do? He is about to crack down on the Jesuit order. He has a speech wow. prepared place, which was going to take place at the General Congress the next day before he dies. He doesn't wake up. And it involved things like the P2 Lodge. And I think, you know, that you have Godfather Three that uh, right. features some of this right. subtext. Um, where, where Michael Corleone is like, finally, I'm going to make amends for all of my misdeeds. I'm going to save the Pope, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't make it. He tries though. Uh, but they bring in the P2 Freemasonic Lodge, right? Which is also behind the killing of many people like Aldo Moro, uh, the prime minister of, of Italy at that time. John Paul II takes up the torch that John Paul I lays and he makes a point to try to rein in the, this, this Jesuit order. Um, and he gets shot twice, barely, barely survives, hangs on for life. They they thought he was going to die, but uh, but after that, um, been kind of quiet. Not, <laughs> well, there there there's things like you have Ron Brown right under Bill Clinton, um, his right. Commerce Secretary, right. who's uh, assassinated in 1995. When Ron Brown is is bringing a delegation of businessmen and, and journalists to Russia to try to build, an, you know, in the post Soviet space, he wants to build infrastructure to create new new com- uh, areas of commerce and development. Um, which is very different from the end of history, New World Order uh, freaks who are also all over the Clinton administration. And Ron Brown, uh, that plane is sabotaged. Everybody dies in 95. Yeah. And that's it. That's, that, it. that's as far as I know, as far as like statesmen Man, in America was subverted. That, that these boys play Trump. rough. I tell you that. They just play rough. Matthew, I got an, another interview coming up, but and I'm taking you. Yeah. I've really kept you a long time. But before we go, just kind of uh, wrap us a little bit of what you think 
their plan now is from this COP26 thing, there's all these people in Glasgow for 13, that's a long time. What are they going to do? Just listen to each other talk? And what do you well, think, their, the what do you think yeah, their plan is? It's already falling, what do you it's think already falling apart. It's already falling apart because um, Russia, China, India, all nobody the go, heads of Nobody state shows up, right? Yeah, they don't show up. Yeah, they, they, all, they all boycotted Brazil, South Africa, uh, Turkey. Uh, everyone just boycotted. They're all saying we're not going to participate in this thing. They're sending low-level delegates who have no authority. Um, hmm. So already it's falling apart. They, they want to get globally enforceable uh, climate reduction quotas to stop the rise of temperature which has nothing to do with carbon dioxide by the way um by 2050 and um and and to create a new type of economic architecture to be uh, agreed upon by everybody that puts everybody in the same type of box um the same type of cage the um that i i really don't see it working i just don't see them being able to carry it out because you have the resistance coming out of eurasia which is doing things so differently where they are not only I mean, if, if you look at Russia and China, the, the way that these countries are trying to reduce CO2, it's through nuclear power investment, uh, clean coal. Uh, they're not reducing their coal output, they're, they're, but they're doing things that are just smarter and they're building real large scale industries mm-hmm. that are pulling people out of poverty and giving people a better, a better life. So that, that's going to work. And I think the more you have examples that directly showcase how our life is being crushed and life quality of life is, is being reduced here in the, West, the free West – while you have obviously people being pulled out of poverty going you know space exploration is an exciting thing for kids in in asia here we don't care anymore um but you have to have that contrast which is then gonna i think increasingly demonstrate to us that this is not the way to go this is this is we could be doing things very differently we're being told that there's no other way but there is this other way obviously you know (laughs) embracing half the world's population even more uh which does work so um, I think we have to think in those terms and be more global in our awareness, not just reading like, you know, uh, confirmation bias reports from Epoch Times and things that we're comfortable with <laughs> because they talk well about, you know, uh, the coup d'etat against Trump. Then there's there's spinning international geopolitics to make us all become freakishly uh, hateful and fearful of China and even giving our consent. Many good people are giving their consent to a war policy against China that could blow up the world. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Under a new McCarthy Red Scare, there's no reason for this, but we're all giving our consent to it. So people have to really inoculate them, their minds from that type of misinformation. If they're going to be potent in any type of political action, they're going to be able to take in Canada or the United States or Europe at this late stage of the game. And Matthew, for what it's worth, I study this stuff and the whole germ thing and the and the COVID. I, I for what it's worth, I think that the whole bio weapon from China is a big false flag. I think it's all a scam. I don't I don't think it ever happened. Uh, you know, if there was really a bioweapon been released, we'd all be dead. You know, what can I tell you? Yeah, I, I think it's 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 uh, there's no it's evidence. Just there's, there's no evidence. It's like, no it's like, evidence. It's like how Alan Dulles and these guys were all trying to frame Russia because you know, look, sure. Lee Harvey Oswald was in Russia. We had that direct connection, and right. so a lot of the the McCarthyite brainwashed Americans were all like, "Yeah, it's the Russians who did it," and then they were like, "Oh, yeah, that's not holding up so well. So let's blame it on the com- on the." Cubans, look, he was near these Cubans. They did it. They, they it did. Was right. It's always somebody. Astro. It's always oh, somebody. But it's always a commie. That's 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 how the U.S. has been profiled to be. You know, it's the same profile being reactivated from the Cold War, right? Uh, where the real enemy is the British Empire. The same damn thing that that Washington fought same against, people. and that that killed every American president that's been pushing this whole thing since the League of Cambrai. That it's the same Venetian Empire that moved from Venice 
and took over Britain and created the Bank of England as the first central bank after they after they realized that, holy shit, they're way too vulnerable in Venice. They almost got destroyed in 1509. Let's move to safer, a safer, more strategic zone. So they just, yeah. they did. They found the British Isles to be that place and, and the Dutch, the Netherlands. I um, read, so yeah. it's the same thing. I read where the, yeah, I read where the queen queen mom is not feeling her oats and maybe leaving. I don't know if it's true. Could be fake news. But so what's his face? He's the, he's the heir apparent. Uh, what's his name? Charles, who was at Charles, the who's yeah. at he's at the cop twenty six and he's tripped up the stairs. By the way, God love him. Did you see that film? Oh yeah, that was just terrible. And then did you see the did you see the thing that went bi- viral with Biden sleeping? Did you see that one too? Oh, yeah, he's he's sleeping. First day on the job. He's just sleeping away right in the middle of it. So that one. This is nap time. Nap time. So so Charles, I guess Charles is a real, he's a real den of, he's right in there. He's right. He's right in there. He's a, he's a globalist big time, right? Prince Charles. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have the intellectual fiber of, of his, his father who was better at, uh, who was more intellectually uh, strong as far as being evil is concerned. Um, <laughs> I mean, Prince Charles, you know, brags about how he loves talking to plants and stuff. And, right. Um, the, no, I, I think that, uh, but he is very highly positioned. He is one of the the official founders of the Great Reset. Yeah. Um, yeah. Committee or whatever it's called with Klaus Schwab. And yeah, he's being positioned to be one of the um, the people out there, uh, yeah. heroes of the new world order of the Green Age coming on, so called. Yeah. So he's like a yeah. point man being installed. To, to fulfill his family obligations as part, you know, the heir of the heir apparent of the British throne and, and who, blah, blah, blah. who comes up after Charles when he goes? Is it one of the kids? William. William. He's one of. The, yeah. He's he's the more settled, solid guy as opposed to Harry, right? The hothead, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't want to pass judgment. So far, I'm not impressed by William's decisions. Yeah. Um, I was hoping maybe, maybe him and Harry might have some something inside of them because of their mother and the fact that it's pretty much an open, it's an open secret uh, how her mother actually di- how their sure. mother actually died. And I was hoping maybe, maybe they would did something, and, and maybe they still do. Maybe there was something under the surface that, that's up. just waiting for the time maybe to do something good. I don't know. Yeah. I, I haven't seen yeah. it though. Yeah. Do you ever stop reading? No. Man, uh, how do you know? Yeah, I do. I, 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 I kick back. I watch movies. I like. Movies. Do you? Have you seen anything yeah. good lately? Lately, it's worth watching. Anything good? I honestly, um, well, the the best thing honestly that I've seen is a show on Netflix called uh, Air to Gruel Resurrection. It's a Turkish uh, drama that's like five hundred episodes long. It's very long. Five hundred um, episodes, good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't. I don't spend all that time reading. I actually watched every 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 single episode, and I thought it was good. I thought it was very edifying edif- yeah. and, and insightful. Yeah. And I but and, I, and there's some Chinese uh, historical dramas that I that I found that are really good on on Netflix as well. But for the most part, I've been very disappointed by almost every recent thing I've seen from the West. It's just I've, I've nothing's not happening. There there is a good show that I like. Uh, one of the best things I've seen for a long time called Succession. Never saw it. Oh, really no. worth watching. Check it yeah. out. Yeah, you'll like it. Okay. Check it out. It's all about this family uh, who owns this huge um, media conglomerate thing. It's all about they're all climbing to try to get to the top. I think something that you would like, yeah, because of your, you know, it's called Succession. It's very, very, very well done. Oh, by the way, did you see uh, President Trump made 
$4.8 billion last week on this little thing that he did, on this little IPO? No way. Really? Is that the social media thing that he's great? Yeah. Dwack, D-W-A-C, $4.8 B in Trump's pockets wow. last Friday, a week ago Friday. And uh, well, good for him. so he's going to build an entire media uh, conglomerate and go after the boys, CNN and the boys. Yeah, he's going to have some fun. You watch him. Yeah, I'm going to follow that. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This was just a, some kind of a, it's called an SPAC, which I don't understand it, but they raise money. Then he's going to merge with some other people, and then they're going to do a a uh, social media thing called Truth Social, and then they're going to get in, he's going to get into films and TV and do his own TV station. Oh, yeah. He's going to, you watch him. He's going to. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I like that. I like that. He's he's going to have some fun. Well, Matthew, thank you so I'll much. Keep out of it. I'm uh, I'm I'm fully in support. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's just been great having you here. We man, I went down some some rabbit holes uh, today. I didn't have any idea it was going to go down. It was just just really really good. <laughs> Either way, yeah. Thanks a lot, cool. brother. Thank you. You know, would you do me a flavor? Would you hold on for just a minute? I want to test something technically after we get off just for a second. Okay, mm-hmm. Matthew, Eric, thank you. Uh, we appreciate CanadianPatriot.org. Patrick Timpone, we're going to take a quick break here. I only have about 15 minutes. I need to get a little something from my tummy, piece of cheese, and then we're going to talk about the Constitution, the Tenth Amendment, uh, all these states uh, suing Biden and uh, you know religious freedom and the Fourth Amendment, religious exemptions and the, the injections and stuff from a constitutional expert. Um, 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 Proctor, his first name is just escaping me at the moment, but that's okay. I will see you in just a moment. Love you. Take care of yourself. May may the blessings be. Let me get get out of this thing here, and we'll see you in about fifteen minutes. Know the source on one radio network. <laughs> 